Alright, our scripture verse for today's sermon is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is what I will be reading. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you very much, the Word of God. So October this year is a special year, a special month. That is because October 31st, the very end of the month, is on a Sunday, and that, that, that is really exciting. In fact, there's this uh, holiday at the end of the month, you may know about it. Um, it's one that is a controversial holiday. It's mired in um, scandal. It's often misunderstood. The origins of it is often misunderstood. Um, I'm going to be doing a civil. Hey, Rocky, what's going on? Middle of a servant here. Guess I'm just going to have to wait. All right. So. October 31st, 1517, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther went to Wittenberg Chapel in Wittenberg, Germany. Of course, I say that like a German with using the, the V sound instead of the W sound. And he mailed 95 theses to the chapel wall. This was known as, many have called this, many theologians have called this the shot, the theological shot heard around the world. And so very, it seems a very dramatic, um, dramatic thing to do. Dramatic, dramatic, not dramatic. But actually, this is something people did back then. When they had something that they wanted to talk about to discuss in public meetings, they would go to the chapel and they would pound um, their issues on the door. Of course, it wasn't on the door that was coming in, like I have before you. It was one to the side. And... Um, what that was is basically like an early form of Facebook. You know, you have a wall, somebody writes on your wall. I don't know if you've ever woken up and somebody has nailed, somebody has posted 95 issues they have with you on your wall. Some people are like, I like that. There needs to be a response to that. Martin Luther lived at a time where he really felt like the church, the church universal, there was only, really only two churches back then, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, but the Catholic Church, he felt like they had gone away from the Scriptures. They had gone away from the very heart of what God wanted for the Church. What he did in that, and what he did with nailing those arguments on the door, thank you very much, Rocky. Rocky's such a good sport, I always call on him for almost like anything I need to do in the service. That's why you keep calling, when you see the Romans on TV, you call them Rocky the Romans. Yeah. Now he's... Rocky the uh, Rocky the Reformer. And uh, oh, I said that on the spot. That sounds good. Rocky the Reformer. Um, in Martin Luther's time, he started reading, he got, a, he got his hands on the Word of God, started reading the Word of God in the Latin Vulgate. In fact, you couldn't read the Scripture unless you knew Latin. It wasn't translated in any other language. There were those who tried, and they were then burned at the stake. Because he was seen as something that was evil. So he gets his hand and he starts seeing these things. He's like, all this doesn't add up. Why are we doing it this way? And that was the beginning of the what we call the Reformation. The beginning of the Reformation. 
October 31st then has been known since that time as Reformation Day. You probably thought I was going to talk about Halloween today, but I'm not. Nor am I talking about it all this month. I'm talking about Reformation Day. Because there's so much in the Reformation, so many good things that God was calling back His people to understand His Word, to understand it's Him alone. It is grace alone, faith alone, to the glory of God alone. And I feel like in American Christianity and truly Christianity around the world, we have lost so much of that. Five things, five major things came out of the Reformation that I find most profitable. They're known as the five solas. The five solas. They really build the house of the church. The foundation, sola scriptura. Sola scriptura is Latin, it means by scripture alone. The Bible alone. The pillars of the wall of the house are the next three um, solas, which is sola fide, by faith alone. Sola gratias, by grace alone. Sola Christos, Jesus Christ alone. And at the top of this house is sola de gloria, which means to the glory of God alone, because that is why he built his church, Amen. for his own glory. That's right. Amen. It's why he built you, it's why he built you, it's why he built you, for his own glory. And you are most satisfied in him, and you are most satisfied in this life, when he is most glorified in you. So why are these known as the solas and not some other crazy theological term. It's because of the discussion at the time between sola and a Latin term, eta. Eta is spelled E-T. Not like, you know, bone home, Elliot. E-T, it's a, it's a Latin word, it's pronounced eta, and uh, what it means is and. Very simple to know. But when you start putting it in terms of scripture, Christ, grace, faith, it makes a huge difference. So instead of being scripture alone, it was scripture and tradition. Instead of grace alone, it was grace in the sacraments. Instead of faith alone, it was faith in works. And finally, instead of Jesus alone, it was Jesus and the church. And I am passionate to preach about, preach about this to you today. This church, we are grounded in the five solas, even if you didn't know that. Amen. In fact, I was talking with another pastor friend of mine in the same fellowship, and we were talking about, why doesn't this get so much preached about? And he kind of blew my mind. He said, probably because most pastors don't even know about the five solas. I'm like, I sure hope not. It is the basic element to Protestant theology. Amen. Many people ask me, what, what's the difference in this church? What is this church? I always go back to the Reformation, because if you don't understand the Reformation, you don't understand any particular church. So there's a major difference between Catholics and Protestants. The big ones are going to be these five solas. And the first sola we're going to be going over today and this week is sola scriptura by scripture alone, or the Bible alone. The Bible, scripture is powerful. It's dangerous. Leaders know this is dangerous. That is why a man named Tony Milano, who's just reading scripture on the streets in, in, in Ireland, not even a decade ago, was put into prison. It is why when people are following their own conscience this last year, when things were shut down, were put into prison. Worse than that, we see that throughout scripture, so many people dying for the word of God. In fact, the very first attack on God was on his word. The serpent in the garden said, did God really say the first attack on God was on his word, of course. Because John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
Amen. To attack his word is to attack him. I guess it's not on my notes here, but there was something really popular when I was growing up. We'd always say, and it, and it, it was blasphemy, and, 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 and trying to use this in a way where it's not blasphemy, but people would say, I swear to God. Mm. No, Jesus said, don't do that. That's right. Don't swear upon anything of heaven and earth. He's like, you can't even swear about your own body because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. You can't swear on God. He doesn't belong to you. You belong to Him. That's right. So I remember one of my I remember one of my friends. Um, so I, I got I got radically saved as a teenager, and some of my other friends got saved. Some of them didn't. One of our friends he he said he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. So he tried this one day. He's like, I swear to God. And one of my friends, my other friends who just got saved, he's like, You don't even believe in God. What does that mean? He's like, Good stuff. The word of God is powerful. It's dangerous. In fact, many have seen this in Soviet Russia. This story you can read in the, the Jesus Freak Book of Martyrs. If you're around my age, you remember in every Christian bookstore. Remember DC Talk, Jesus Freak Book of Martyrs? I think one of the teenagers actually has my copy. Um, I don't really know who that is. But um, there's a story there. It's entitled, A Bullet or the Bible. In Soviet, the Soviet Union, it was illegal to be a Christian, to have Bible studies. It's illegal to possess a Bible. So house churches still sprung up, but when they got too big, they, uh, they got the attention of the government. One of these house churches got the attention of the government, and so they broke in, they put a gun to the pastor's head, they barred the doors, and they told everybody in this house church, spit on this book of lies and you can leave. Spit on this book of lies and you can leave. Started with the pastor. Pastor came over, and you know, it's easy for me to judge this man and to sneer at him in October 10th, 2021, here in the uh, United States in Iowa. But unfortunately, and to his shame, he spit on the Bible. And then he got to leave. Next woman, she's sobbing, but whatever spittle she had in her mouth, she spits onto the Bible, and so on and so forth, until there's this one 16 year old girl left. Hey, you're 16, right? 16-year-old girl left, just like me. And she, she's weeping. She goes over to the Bible, and with her hand, she wipes off the spittle, and she is soaking it with her tears, and she says, what have they done to your word? What have they done to your word? She hugs it to herself, and, and the secret police puts a bullet in her head. They knew how dangerous God's word was, and that's why they want to exterminate it out of the whole Soviet Union. In England, first person to translate um, the Word of God into English was a man named William Tinsdale. You might know of Tinsdale Publishing. We uh, just commemorated, I always said celebrate, we commemorated um, his martyrdom on the 6th of October this week. I posted it on Facebook. Um, he dared translate the Word of God into English. And for that great sin... He was, uh, he was apprehended by the Holy Roman Empire. person ratted him out. And uh, they, many people believe he, he burned alive at the stake. That's actually not true. They strangled him to death on the stake and then burned his body. Before he died, he spoke aloud. He said, God, open up the eyes of the king. And in four years, there were four new English translations based on his work, one by the king himself of England. The Word of God is powerful. It is our foundation. Yeah. It is our foundation here at Faith Church. Yeah. Nothing else. That has everything to do with the scripture that was just read today. 
We start with Scripture alone. This is the first foundation for a reason, because we only know of the other solas, sola, sola fide, sola gratis, sola um, Christo, and sola de gloria, because of the Scripture. What is Jesus like? There is no other authoritative record of Christ than in the Scripture itself. Second Timothy, Paul goes much further than this, though. Not just what is directly talked about Jesus Christ, but he says, all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. I guess I'm going to go going a little further ahead in here in verse 17. It's so that the man of God, person of God, may be complete. My translation is perfect. That you don't need anything else. It's all founded here. It's sufficient. That's the big word I'm going to talk about today, because this is... That's the one word where you find a dividing line, is that the word of God is enough. It's sufficient. Amen. I'm going to go into that in a bit later here. But it's a heavy burden. Sola Scriptura is a heavy burden. It's much easier just to make up things as you go along. As things change, as patterns change in order to be fashionable, you can then change to fit the current climate and, and avoid certain kind of persecution. I'm not trying to badmouth anybody, but you know, Honestly, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a cult of the Mormons. Yep. And there was a time where they did not allow black people to be members. Because their prophet said that that was the mark of Cain. And that there was no salvation out of that. And then, many years later, all of a sudden, civil rights movement becomes popular. And, uh, and, and they're forced to, the next, the next prophet is forced to say, well, I got a vision. And now black people are. They actually aren't the mark of Cain. Well, what is it then? If Scripture is not our standard, if we do not have an unbreakable standard, then I just get to make up whatever I want, and I get to say, I am the authority, and you just have to deal with it. But if, but if this is the authority, then you hear me preach, and if I say something that's not in here, if you hear me say, this is not in the Word of God, but you should call me on it. Because my authority does not come from my position here because you voted me in two years ago. My authority only comes from as far as it is related to the Word of God. It's a heavy burden. Amen. Thank you, Lord. By Scripture alone does not allow me to add or subtract anything. What about my thoughts, my ideas, my clever intuitions? What about claims by other supposed prophets or apostles? Irrelevant if they are not completely aligned in the Word of God. It's a big thing, authority. What, what gives us authority in, in, in church? What is our rule for faith and practice? As in, where do we go to for what we believe, and what do we go to for how we live that out? I was speaking with somebody one time, and we were having this discussion, and he's saying, well, it's the apostles, so that whoever has the greatest, whoever has the greatest claim to the authority of the apostles, they are the authority in the church. Because they were the initial authorities. As I got some interesting perspective. Because let's look at the apostles teaching them. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. This is the apostle Paul. It said, not by men nor by man, but Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is what he says in Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The word accursed here is anathema. In some of your translations says eternally condemned. That's better. Damned to hell forever is also a great one. As I've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be anathema, accursed, eternally condemned. The apostles themselves did not say, we're the men of God, listen to us. It was the message. 
It was the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Revelation, there's this angel, and twice, John, the apostle, bows down to him to worship him, and he tells him not to do it, and and the angel tells him, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm going to get into it a little later. Maybe I should just stop now and talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, and that you are walking by the Spirit if you read the Word of God and put it into practice. That is because of a careful and passionate exploration of the Scripture, that's the reason why we believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Amen. It is not the other way around. It's not like we experienced it and now we're forcing it on others. We believe, according to God's Word, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. They do not undermine, they do not add or subtract to the Word of God. You know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit is? I'm going totally outline this here, but whatever. Um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit take us back to the Word of God, encourage us in the Word of God. They do not add to the Word of God. Right. Amen. If somebody gives a prophecy today, we don't open up our Bible to the end of it and start writing it down. We judge it by the Word of God. Amen. If it's not found in the Word of God, throw it out. Right. If it subtracts from the Word of God, throw it out. Secondary to that, if it's a prophecy of future events, if it doesn't happen... We call it what it is, false prophecy. But even if it does happen, Deuteronomy explains this. Somebody comes into the camp, they make prophecies, they come true, but they tell you to worship another god, throw them out. All scripture is God-breathed. There are so many claims of of the scripture as found in just 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Oh, so I wanted to explain about uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit real quick, because we're a Pentecostal church and we believe that. So it brings us back to the word of God. Um, I never got permission from this person. There, there's a guy in the congregation here, and he's giving me several prophecies, and they've been so good. Let me tell you why. Before he even gets to, God will give him a, a vision or, or a dream, and he'll tell me about it. Before he even gets to a verse that, it, um, that God had led him to, I know what it is. It's so steeped in God's word, and I'm so encouraged by it. And I'm like, I know exactly where you're going to go before you even go there. Because that's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit do. They encourage us. Let me go on here. God breathed. Um, I have a slide on here that's going to break apart the word that is in the original Greek here. God breathed. Theonesto. Theonesto. Um, I hope it's on there. If not, I'll just take it through it anyway. Um, This word, in some of your translations, is going to be inspired. Other ones, God breathed. In my translation, um, which gets it perfect actually, uh, is breathed out. Theo meaning God. Neo, which means breathe out. We talk about inspiration. Really, it's kind of expiration, breathing out um, onto us. It comes. The origin of Scripture is not man-made. It is by the Holy Spirit himself. The most active instrument in God's Word is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus rose from the dead in John 20, 22, he breathes on his disciples. He breathes out. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. When you were reading this, there are a number of authors, human authors. There are a number of different languages. There's a number of different regions. It was all written in. All of that, I'm telling you right now, that is the Holy Spirit's tools for writing to you and to me. Part of those tools are that person's experience, their personality, 
their own education, and I could go on and on and on, but they are all tools. The initial, the author of all these things, it is the Holy Spirit himself who speaks into this. That's why I say that if you read in the scripture, you live it, you are walking by the Spirit. Amen. So what is scripture? If you go to the Algona Faith News Facebook page, you scroll down a few, uh, quite a ways actually, you'll find an eight-week series I did on how to read the Bible. This was a hard sermon for me to write and only confine it to 30 to 40 minutes today. Because I'm like, I have like eight plus hours of, of material, hard research material on God's word I can present for you today, but I'm not going to do that. <coughs> it's like five o'clock in the afternoon and we're just not done. Uh, but I want to share these three things with you. And it's actually these three things in this sub point. I've got other things um, later. But here's one. Scripture is inerrant. Scripture is inerrant. It's incapable of error. Today in Sunday school, we're reading in Nehemiah, and we have all of these tallies of like 292 people from this tribe is now in Jerusalem. And we ask, why was that in there? Because it's incapable of error. You can bank that if it says 292 from this from these people, it was 292. I don't care what other people may say. They may come along and they're like, well, we got no, we got no evidence of this. The Bible says this. This is true. That's another thing. It's infallible. It's incapable of falsehood. It's incapable of misleading us. You know, it's funny. So, speaking of archaeology, so there for, for years, generations, archaeologists did not believe that David and Solomon were really kings. They, they really thought they were tribal leaders because they could not find any of, any of these cities. And so I'm reading this in Time magazine, so you know that they're not like, you know, they're not apologists. And I'm reading about this of a, of a Jewish archaeologist who did not, who took it all as like, um, you know, mythological of David. And then all of a sudden they, they, come up, they come across several of the cities in the Bible and they find out it's all true. It's like, I could have saved you a lot of time. <laughs> scripture is infallible. Scripture is inerrant. It doesn't include errors. It does not include falsehood. And here's the third one. I'm going to harp on this today because it's so important. This is why I think we need a, we need a, a new reformation in America. We need a new reformation worldwide in the church. Is because scripture is sufficient. Amen. Amen. Sola, not eta. Sola, not eta. And there are so many different ways in different faith traditions that we find ways of doing eta instead of sola. No matter how much we might say, yes, we believe the Bible alone here. I can go to any, any church and maybe this town, I can say the Bible is the word of God. I get a lot of amen. But then I start talking about maybe some of the harder parts in the scripture. Well, that was just then for that time, Pastor. That was just cultural. I hear, I hear that one. I better not go into that right now. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 has so many claims about the word of God just in those two verses. I already told you about God-breathed Meaning God breathed out. The source of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. It is God. Verse 17. So that the man of God may be completely equipped. May be complete, comma, equipped. Now there's not a comma in the original Greek because the original Greek doesn't have commas. But it is a separate word from equipped. So complete, meaning that also perfect. That you have everything you need. It's sufficient. And so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You do not need anything else to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You don't need to go to a convention. You don't need to go through a class. You do not need to do all the other things that the world might say you need to do, self-actualize and all the, all the other stuff. You need to study the Word of God, believe it, and put it into practice. Nothing else will complete and equip 
Nothing else is needed to complete or equip. So for each one of these claims, they are all absolute for us. To be complete, completely fitted, and equipped. The word complete here means um, perfectly fitted, like pipes that go together. So I'm not a plumber, but sometimes I try to be. And I find out what looks like it fits doesn't really fit. (laughs) This is so that you may be completely fitted to God's purposes in your life. The first, the first claim in here is that um, is that the word of God, the, the, um, that scripture, all scripture is God breathed, profitable for teaching. It's profitable for teaching. We've gone and gotten away from teaching the word of God in many churches. I found out this the hard way. My first call as a youth pastor. I, I've been I've been ministering for a while. We're on this trip, and one of these girls in my is is in the fifteen passenger van. You know those wonderful things that are roll machines. And um, anyway, she's talking to me, even though I'm trying to concentrate on the road. And um, all of a sudden, I'm paying attention to her, and she tells me she's on her phone, she's doing some stuff. She's like, "Did you know Cain killed Abel?" And I remember, I thought to myself, "Man, I failed as a pastor." <laughs> These kids don't even know Cain killed Abel. And I, I'm here, I'm here with all my all my wise in, in man's wisdom words like self-actualized. I want to improve their self-esteem. I want them to be world changers. I want them to go to the, 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 the hell and kick down the gates and all these things. They don't know Cain killed Abel. I this gal went through our children's church. She went through all of these ministries, and she didn't know Cain killed Abel, because of course she didn't. We talked about Jesus being your best friend and superhero. And then we wonder when these kids graduate from high school that they don't love Jesus any more than they love Scooby-Doo and Superman. It doesn't matter if it's exciting or cool. It's life. You see, the Bible's been, the Word of God has been compared to living water in the Scripture, and we need some of that high-quality H2O. Amen. And not dying Mountain Dew and bonbons. Amen. This last year, we got to see who was filling up on dying Mountain Dew and bonbons for the last, I don't know how many years. Because hard times came, so many fell away. They keep falling away. So many churches that are like, we believe the Word of God today have completely went the other way on that or attacking the authority of Scripture. Because if all you drink is diet Mountain Dew and bonbons, you're not, you're not healthy. You're not ready to run a race, right? Right. I remember this girl in our youth group, and she was telling us how that was her diet, and she was ready to faint all the time. And we were like, you need to drink some water. And she told us, I'm allergic to water. <laughs> I sometimes miss being a youth pastor and getting lied to by teenagers. But, um, we need the high quality H2O of God's Word. You know, there's a difference between teaching from the Scripture. So if you're watching today, and everybody here, I want to see you every week, absolutely. If you're new, man, every week. But if you're, if you're watching here today, you're not from here, find a church that teaches from the Scriptures that does not give a Bible-based message. Yeah. Everybody gives a Bible-based message, whether they know it or not. Because things that they would say, like, love your neighbor, that comes from the Scripture. It's a Bible-based. But then it gets twisted and mangled to fit some other agenda. Teaching from the Scripture is what I'm doing today. I have my Bible out. I'm going word by word through the Scripture. It doesn't always seem exciting, but that's not relying on my wisdom, my TED Talk. Welcome to my TED Talk. 
That's relying on the God, God's word itself to teach you. Because you are his children, you are his sheep. And when the master speaks, his sheep know his voice. Amen. There is a major difference between teaching from the scripture and a Bible-based lesson. Here are two other claims scripture makes of itself here. It is profitable for reproof and correction. Amen. These words translated in the, in the Greek are the only words found, these two words are the only times they are found in the New Testament. The ones in the Greek, that is. You'll find reproof, correction throughout the scripture, but not these exact words. In fact, the word for, getting my notes here, um, the word for reproof, which is only found here, um, is translated to mean, um, I got that wrong, let me see here. Yep, yep, that is right. Uh, reproof is is concerning the conviction of a sinner, meaning you don't know if somebody's guilty or not. That's what reproof does. This kind of reproof it reveals to you your guilt, and that's what the scripture does. In fact, that's what the purpose of God's law is. It's not for you to keep it because you can't. It's to prove to you you are a sinner before God. Amen. Well, Pastor Jason, I've never killed anybody. That's what I told God when God brought me up, me to the mat. But God, I've never killed anybody. God started showing me my sin, not from my point of view, because I had all the excuses in the world why I did what I did. I said this to the teenagers a couple weeks ago when I got to talk with them. Um, one of the first major moments in my life where I started realizing, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was, it was on Halloween, um, October 31st. Should have known it was Reformation Day, not Halloween, but we were little hoodlums, and we, we set a kid on fire. So it occurred to me, maybe I'm not as good or perfect as I think I was. God calls me on the carpet after this, and I'm still trying to prove to him my own goodness, my own perfection. And I start seeing it from God's point of view and from the other person's point of view. That this kid, by the way, he was okay. So I just want to, you know, I'm not a murderer or anything. Uh, but anyway, this kid was okay. Um, all he wanted to do was hang out with us. He was alone on Halloween. We were a group of kids from school. He just wanted to hang out with us. I remember how bad that felt because I've been in that situation so many other times. I remember thinking, how dare I do that to somebody else? I know what it's like to be left out. I know what it's like to be bullied because you're the kid who doesn't fit in. And I remember that night, I, 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 I'm convinced of my own. God's word reproofed me. And I realized I was guilty before a righteous God. I remember telling God, if you don't send me to hell, you're not good. That is what is so amazing about grace. I realized so utterly I didn't deserve it. Because God's word convicted me of my sin. It also corrects us. This word means to be brought back to a right position. To be brought back to righteousness. This is something, when we look, when we look to tell people, you know what's wrong with you? You better have your Bible open, Right? I remember one time somebody wanted to tell a friend of mine off in school, and he's kind of rough around the edges, so he's like, let me stop you right here, right there. Whatever you're going to say to me, I'll let, I'll, let you say your, I'll let you say your piece, but then I get to start in on you, and I'm much more nasty than you are, so she walked away. Anyway, <laughs> correction, to be brought back to a right position. David Wilkerson said the modern church has a hatred for reproof and correction. If so, it has a hatred for the scriptures themselves. Leonard Ravenhill said that when the church finds something it doesn't like in the Bible, they call it legalism. To 
Scripture gives us guidelines on how also to reprove and correct each other. So I was just kind of being tongue-in-cheek there, but it does give us guidelines on how to reprove and correct each other according to God's Word, Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, you who are spiritual, if anyone is caught in a sin, should restore them gently. Amen. Reproof and correction in the Scriptures is a blessing for the one being reproof and corrected. It is not catharsis and schadenfreude for the one doing the correcting. That's just an aside here as we go in here, go along. But it's also for training in righteousness. The word translated here comes from the root meaning of child and training. It was for a while about training up a child. It became just general training, but not of a master, but of a novice or a beginner. So make no mistake and don't let pride blind you. All of us are children being taught by our Heavenly Father in righteousness. Amen. We don't understand righteousness largely. It's not just not doing the wrong thing, it's doing the right thing. Jesus Christ was innocent because he never did a single thing wrong on his earth, in his earthly life, or ever, really. But he was also righteous because he did what the Father required of him. You know, in Jesus Christ, we're going to do a baptism service at the end of this month. He's baptized. And John's like, no, no, I want you to baptize me. Jesus said, this is to fulfill all righteousness. It trains us in righteousness. So this is my conclusion. It's kind of a long conclusion, so don't come up yet, worship team. This is my conclusion. I'm going to talk about threats, modern threats to Sola Scriptura. There were threats in Jesus' time to just trusting the Bible. They had all of these traditions and rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath. Jesus' disciples, they're chided by the religious elite of his time because they are eating grain from a field. They're just taking it out and they're rubbing it in their hands and eating it. I wonder what they would have said of like me and my friends who find crab apples all the time in the fall and eat them. They had all these rules. And they found ways around God's commandments according to their traditions. That is why Jesus says, in the the book of Mark here, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, as you do many things like that. This is what they did. They knew they had an obligation to their mother and father to support them in their old age. There was no social security. There was no retirement. Your retirement was your kids. You had a responsibility to take care of your take care of your parents. And what they would do themselves, and they would teach others, is that just give a small portion of that to the synagogue. Then you don't have to do anything for mom and dad. I sure hope they save some money somewhere, or they're not eating anywhere. Kind of a nasty thing, but that's the thing they did. And Jesus says, you nullify the word of God by your tra- tradition you have ha- that you've handed down. You do many things like this. The first threat to... Um, the first threat to Sola Scriptura today is still tradition. If you watched Fiddler on the Roof, you probably thought, tradition, tradition. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was at first going to maybe talk about one or two denominations here, but I was like, why, why stop there? I think this is a problem across the board. Of every church, of every denomination, we have our own little traditions that we know aren't in the Word of God, but we kind of finagle it to be in the Word of God. And thus nullify the word of God. You know, to this day there are certain denominations that completely reject the idea that it's the Bible alone. Those those are easy to talk about. But then there are those who just don't believe in the authority of the Bible alone. They trust the authority of their modern day apostles or, or prophets. Here are some other traditions. We experience this too. Anytime we cling to a belief 
we can't find in the Bible, or one that goes against something in Scripture, well, we get into that boat too. We discount the Scripture because we want to do something. So we say, well, I don't have to follow that. Or when it comes to the more direct commands of Christ, we find ways around them, we found them too, and those are kind of recent traditions that we will go by. But they're traditions nonetheless. This is something, as a Pentecostal church, Assembly of God church, we can look at this for ourselves. You know, if you, you remember the different revivals in the 90s, they were chaos. And I've been in church services that are just a free-for-all. You know, there's regulations about how many prophecies, how many words and tongues can be used. And I've been in so many churches where the pastor just brushes that off, and it's a free-for-all, it's chaos, and you know, God says he's a God of order, not a God of disorder. And I wanted to stand up and say, Corinthians exists! Amen. Yes. I teach, and I can't wait to talk about the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe this because of a careful study of the Scriptures, that this is for me. If it were not so, we would not teach it, even if people had experiences. Again, I, would, I wouldn't. I'd be out. If I, if, I just, if I did not believe according to God's word, this is for today, we should earnestly seek this for today. I don't care. People have all kinds of crazy religious experiences in so many other religions. That doesn't mean they're necessarily for us. But the ones we find in the scripture that we walk to in the scripture. So, tradition. That, that is often a threat to sola scriptura. We'll see something in the scripture and we'll say, oh, but so-and-so said this. Here's the second one. And I was having a hard time putting a name on this. I had all these things. I was like, you know something? This has been named by those who are kind of in this movement. And that is woke churches. Woke churches. Woke believers. It's epitomized by a rejection of the Bible as the sole authority. We have to then go to the world to define justice instead of going to God's word to define justice. We'll look at statistics instead of looking at what God has said. So many of these, not all, reject the very idea found in, that truth is found in Christianity as a whole. That you can't claim the Bible is the word of God and hold, you cannot claim that the Bible is the word of God and hold to contradictory ideas about the Bible being the word sufficient word of God. Sad enough, many churches that have the name Luther on them fall into this category. Not, not all. But quite a lot. In fact, I remember when the ELCA, I guess I'm naming names, we'll get up, um, was uh, ordaining homosexual clergy. I remember I was watching this because I wanted to know what, was, what could possibly be your reasoning in this. And somebody confronted them with God's word on this different area. And, 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 they, and they took a verse and they ripped it out of context and they said, God is doing a new thing. Sorry. Wow. What? Martin Luther spinning in his grave. Spinning in his grave. He's in heaven, and I'm sure he is weeping that the that churches that bear his name reject what was part of the 95 Theses that he that he pounded on Wittenberg's wall. It's a rejection of a biblical ethic. Some of these churches will say they believe the Bible is the word of God that is infallible and errant, but they will then waffle on the Bible's commands. See, it's easy to say that the Bible is the word of God, it's sufficient. It's infallible, it's inerrant, it's another thing to live by that. So when it comes to things, I talked about the homosexual issue, pansexual, many other such things, they will, they don't care what God has to say on this, they just want to be seen more as loving, once again, defining love by the world's way, not by Christ's way. 
You know, one, one such church that unfortunately carries Martin Luther's name, the pastor made a golden image out of purity, purity rings. Man, if only there was a book that might warn her about not making golden images out of like, things that are set aside for its holy to God. I'm surprised she didn't say when she presented it, and I'm not going to say what the sculpture is because it's disgusting. Not that it in and of itself is disgusting, but the way it's presented is disgusting. Um, I'm surprised she didn't say, this is, your, this is your God who led you out of Egypt. That's what Aaron said when he made the golden calf. They reject, some of these have now come to reject Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. In fact, any time Jesus is not the answer, right? That's a rejection of God's words, a rejection of Christ himself. To that I say, Ichabod. If you don't know, that's in the book of Samuel when the ark was taken from Israel and a man names his son Ichabod. Mother named her son Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. Over this last year, I've seen so many churches that they, they were good Bible preaching churches pastors. The glory of God has departed. For you have departed away from the very thing that filled you with the Holy Spirit. Third, third here is charismatic threats to the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, I want to preface again. We believe in the charismatic gifts here. We believe, once again, according to a careful study of God's Word, that those gifts are for today. Those gifts are for encouraging us in the Scriptures and for encouraging us in general of building up the church. We are a Pentecostal church, and we are proud of that. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of prophecy, of words of wisdom, of knowledge, of speaking in tongues. Hello. Um, we believe this is for today. We believe this because it is in the scriptures. In no way, shape, or form, though, do these gifts add or subtract from God's word. When you hear a word of prophecy, word in tongues, so on and so forth, the first question you need to ask, does this add or take away from God's, from God's word? If it does, discount it. I'm not going to really harp on this, but there are those who have done that very thing. They will say an angel, they will say they had a vision, they will say many things, but we judge it by God's word, not by the proof text that they find. So, so when, you're, when you're doing this, you're not just finding something that supports what they say, you're trying to find something that may contradict what they say, because let God's word be true and every man a liar. When you hear something through a gift, you ask the question, is this... It, um, one, is there, is there anything in the scripture that contradicts this? Is there any scripture that upholds this? Does it come true? Does this make me, here's the biggest thing too, because this is what the angel told John, the spirit of prophecy was the testimony of Jesus Christ, so this is make me love Jesus more. Amen. I want to see the gifts being used in this congregation, so we might love Jesus more. Amen. That they, they would inflame our affections toward the Father According to God's word. Here are the here's the last here's the second to last threat. It's goats and snakes. Many churches they do strive. Our church we strive to be within the word of God, to scripture alone, sola scriptura. But you also have people like goats and snakes who file in. I was in a church in Las Vegas, and it was afterwards during the fellowship time. And this like guy comes up to me and he starts telling me he's like, you know, God's not a trinity. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he, he, he was, he, I knew better because I know it's heresy. But he was trying to convince me of this, and he gave me a pamphlet of going to a meeting where they explained this. 
I'm like, did you talk to the elders of this church about doing? No, 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 no. Oh, so you're just trying to cause problems. You're trying to be a, you're trying to cause division. We were warned of this in the book of Jude, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. But the greatest threat to Sola Scriptura does not come from those who deny or even actively work against it. For after all, do you blame a blind man for what he cannot see, or a deaf man for what he cannot hear? It comes from its most ardent supporters who proclaim that the Bible is the word of God with their lips, but deny it with their lives. There are so many categories, we all fall into this. In fact, I'm writing this this week, and I'm like, let's do an inventory, Jason. What words are you? Maybe willful ignorance. Meaning you know what the Bible says about this area, but you're like, well, I don't care, I like this, so I'm going to keep doing this. We have that area. That's a rejection of sola scriptura. This is the person who knows God's word. They, they soak to it. And they'll come on a Sunday, and maybe they'll even preach like I'm preaching. The Bible is God's word, only God's word. And then I'm like, this isn't in the Bible, but I know better, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's a rejection. The worst kind of rejection comes from those who know God's word, but don't live it in their decision-making. When it comes to making decisions, there's a lot of advice people give. Do you go to God's Word for that advice, or do you go everywhere else and then go to God's Word to find proof text for what you really want to do? I one time that we say we have no other choice when we've already made the choice and we're trying to make ourselves feel good about it. I've seen people just mangle God's Word to try to approve their, their terrible choices. Uh, there's there's a woman. I actually heard this from another pastor, so I'm taking on faith that he was being honest with me, uh, because it's such a ridiculous claim. So she was looking to start an affair, and so she goes to her pastor and she says, "And God's word says I can." He's like, "What? <laughs> it says put on the new man." <laughs> if you know that verse, that's not what it's talking about. It's a willful ignorance of God's word. It is. It is coffee mug Christianity, where we take a verse out of context to make ourselves feel better instead of being changed by the Word of God. It's compromising with sin. It's not doing what you've been called to do as well, so that's the negative. What about the positive? All of us, we've been called. Go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Are we doing that? It doesn't matter if we say we agree with it, are we living it? Here's another way those who would say they agree with Sola Scriptura deny it with what they do. It's when we use the Bible like a book of spells. Since Halloween is at the end of the month, we'll talk about, you know, people talk about witchcraft and wizardry. You know what I find much more disturbing than, than kids running around, you know, going, spelliamus or something. It's Christians who will take a verse out of context as though it's some kind of mantra that grieves the Holy Spirit. Because this is in context. According to God's word, it changes us when that happens. Finally, I've said this before, and I'm just going to um, worship team and come up at this point. It's about when we don't live like it is God's word. 
when you read in the scriptures, and we know what we should be doing, but we're not doing it. Now, if you're here today, and I ask you, you know, if you die, like, plane falls into the church, everybody dies, where am I seeing everybody? Which line? What, are you, do you know where you're going to heaven? Do you have confidence that you're going to heaven? Here's the first thing you need to believe and put into practice. Repent. That's a churchy word. What it means is to change our mind. We're not simply being like, well, I thought Coke was good, Pepsi's better. It's a changing of our whole worldview. Metanoia means a change of mind. And then faith. Faith is not simply, I believe that God exists, Jesus exists. I believe he is everything he said he is. He is the only sufficient Savior. And I speak to you today, maybe you're watching at home, and maybe you just tuned in, or you, you know it's later in the week, and you're like, I'm not a church person or anything like that. When I get up here and I pray, I pray, God, make the dry bones flesh. Because in the book of Ezekiel, God takes the prophet to a, a valley of dry bones. He says, well, these dry bones live. And the prophet tells him, God, you know. Everyday pastors, when we come up and we preach to a congregation, that's what we're praying. God, you know. If you say so, it will. So I prophesy to the dead bones, live. Because that is what happens in salvation. That while we were powerless, while we were still, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Is there anything that we are not living in? Like I said before, soul scriptor is a heavy, heavy burden. Because beyond us, none of us do it perfectly. We have areas we're growing in, because if that's not the case, then, um, oh, we have a new Jesus. Jesus is the only person who lived this life perfectly. All of us, we are constantly trying to be more and more like Jesus Christ, and that's what the Holy Spirit does through the Word of God. Amen. It chisels away everything in us that doesn't look like Christ. Will you please stand with us as we do our final worship song? <coughs> After that, I'll be giving the benediction, but this is your time for reflection. This is your time for response. If you don't know the Lord today, this is your time to fall upon the mercies of our God, repent and put your faith in Him, taste and see that the Lord is good. I told you about my testimony. I fell asleep that night, just just. Crying. I hadn't cried like forever. I'm not going to get into that right now. I woke up the next morning. It's like I never saw color before. I couldn't explain exactly what it was, but I had a new life. I believe today, in the quiet of your own heart, if you call upon the mercies of God, you're truly sorrowful for your sin. You hate your sin. You love the righteousness you once ignored, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who will be saved today by the power of the Holy Spirit, because that is what God's Word, which is true, says. Amen. Worship team, please lead us.